0: Deuteronomy 23 verse 1 says, "He who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord." Now this is literally you know the castration of a male uh, that his uh, male identity would be destroyed. This is not the idea of birth defect or even accident okay this this is a practice that was done in worshiping false gods, okay so so if you're thinking like, well, what if somebody repented? The Lord is putting uh, his mandate on the idea of, look, if you've gone so far into worshiping in pagan idolatry that you would remove your gender. This way, as an act of, uh, you know, your your false worship, then being welcomed into the uh, temple to worship the Lord is not going to be allowed. Um, you know, I would encourage you to not go too far uh, with the idea and how it might apply and does apply to things that are going on in our culture today. Uh, You know, people literally mutilating themselves, uh, changing their gender, you know, attempting to change their gender identity. Um, If they were to repent and be restored in the Lord, right? And let's be clear, um, I don't know how much study you want to do on the damage that is done to the human body by these practices. It is nightmarish. Uh, what happens to a man who goes through hormonal therapy and surgeries. It is, it is unbelievable what happens to their body. Not, not just on the level of the removal of their organs. Uh, their body, by God's design, is designed to be male down to the molecular level. You start adding female hormones into the program and bad things happen on every level it is really frankenstein level doctoring so you know if you know someone repents and and we've seen this individuals who were coerced in their youth into you know attempting to make these types of changes who later in their adult life went through long arduous process of Coming to the realization of what other people had done to them and repenting and allowing the Lord to work in their life and now are children of God. The Lord welcomes them into our family. Right? What's being said here is for the nation of Israel to recognize the severity of such practices. They're not welcome into the tabernacle as the concept of if you've gone that far then there's something deeply warped and scarred in your heart. You know, The Lord doesn't give an utter rejection of them. He's simply saying as far as being in the center of worship at this time. Uh, our culture needs to be painfully aware of you know, what... Reading articles just this past month about the fact that As far as gender identity goes, with no, you know, you hear all of this uh, about them forbidding the therapy that would correct their mindset, you know, to restore them to embracing their, you know, birth identity, you know, not allowing that to happen. The people who have not gone through that therapy that they've tracked um they they have noticed that the desire for gender change this is remarkable uh, if it just takes a natural course okay uh, of a young person kind of begins to have this thought process it's going to reach a peak of thought process and then it's going to subside the entire span of that on average less than 6 months think about that uh, the way that our culture right now is destroying people's bodies for the rest of their life over a psychological condition that's gonna last less than six months, generally speaking. you know what the number one cause for the desire this is this is the psychological school of thinkings examination of this the number one cause right now for the desire. To change identity is. You know what that is? Anybody want to take a guess in the room? What is that? Uh, uh, peer pressure. Uh, yeah. L- like Facebook. And Twitter. That Without question, it, it is social media. Social media is the number one cause. Okay? And it's a huge percentage. It's like 86%. Of the people, so so you're talking about kids, right? Think about how much children influence one another. Okay, <coughs> you've heard the stuff about Facebook and <coughs> its influence, the way that politics are affected, all these different things. <coughs> Consider that a child suddenly is watching other people (coughs) raise questions and make decisions about these things. They become intrigued by it. Now, every single communication that they're receiving from Facebook, the algorithm determines now the only thing that they will see are things that are directly and indirectly associated with sexual identity change. Right? what they need to be being presented with is normalcy, right? They need to be being encouraged to follow after their birth identity. And suddenly, you know, a massive amount of the influence in their life is only pointing them towards sexual identity change. Now, Now remember, right, the entirety of that course from beginning of thought to peak to deterioration is going to be somewhere around 6 months. They're going to make life altering changes based upon social media and an internal urge that was only going to last around 6 months. Rest of their life. You know, as we sit here right now, think about this. And you're kind of horrified by that. Tell me you didn't do similar things in different areas of your life when you were 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. Parenting and the influence of mentoring so critically important. Uh, you know, the number of hours that a child is left alone with electronic influence is remarkable in our culture. Countless, tens and tens of thousands of hours where that influence is the only influence they have. It's really shocking to consider. I'll give you that statistic one more time. That 50% of five-year-olds have already experienced pornography on an electronic device. 50% of five-year-olds. right? Because, And here's, the, here's what's most condemning about that because the devices have no filter on them, have no lock on them, and someone else has already been in those locations. And so the history prompts them towards it. Our our culture, you guys, is seriously messed up in regard to this. So when you're looking at the Lord here saying anyone who has had their sexual identity altered... As an act of pagan worship is not allowed in the presence of the Lord, in the tabernacle. Yeah, it's an Old Testament thing, right? Today we understand the grace of God. Someone comes to the Lord, they're accepted into the presence of the Lord. You must understand the gravity of this issue from this verse. This is, I mean, how many, there's only a few occasions... Felt the scripture where the Lord says these individuals cannot come into my presence. This is one of them. We need to understand the severity of it. Think about how blasphemous it is for pastors and clergy to stand in the pulpit and encourage that behavior. It's, it's really a, a, a very wicked thing. God is, is putting you know his exclamation mark next to this for all of eternity saying you do not want to harm you know what I have created to destroy the natural order of what I have intended That that's where the greatest fulfillment is going to be for this individual if they are healthy and functioning according to God's design that's where their life is fulfilled and instead mutilation so I, I think I've dwelt on that long enough have i horrified us all all right Uh, uh, verse 2 one of an illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the lord now uh, it'll be better if i explain that illegitimate birth is to do with the mixed marriages with unbelievers Uh, this is not the sense of someone That's unmarried. The Lord has very direct things to say about that also. But here, um, you know, some of us have have studied our way through the book of Nehemiah. And as Nehemiah is rebuilding uh, the walls of Jerusalem in particular, he becomes aware of the fact that certain men have begun to marry the uh, pagan women from the surrounding communities and they haven't even gone through the process of uh, making or encouraging these women to convert to Judaism their faith and their children that are being born are being raised in the pagan idolatry and and even speaking the foreign languages they're not even, they haven't assimilated into being Jewish in any way most significantly as far as religiously they they're not worshiping Yahweh and and these men have no problem with it they're acting like yeah you know so i've i've got this pagan wife I, i'm jewish i'm i'm a believer but you know rest of my family is not okay if you haven't read through it you can go back and research on your own it says that nehemiah was so angry that he well, the way it's worded it says that he uh, ripped out their beard hairs and struck them in the face. Okay. If, you, if you read it in its original language, it's that he seized them by the beard. And when he struck them in the face, he was left with their beard in his hand. You know, people say I'm harsh. You know, just consider. Consider, right, that, that this man is saying, Look. We as a nation drifted away from God into idolatry because of the surrounding nations, right? We began to follow their influences that led to the entirety of our nation being idolatrous. And then we were dragged away into captivity. They've just come back into the land and they're just experiencing the restoration of the Lord And now suddenly the people are beginning practices that are going to lead them back to the very idolatry that destroyed them. So when we're reading here, one of illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord. This is literally talking about the idolatry of the surrounding nations in the mixed marriages of believers with unbelievers and the problems that it generates. The early church struggling with doctrinal issues came together in Acts chapter 15 to debate how much of the law they were going to require of the Gentiles. We've talked about it many, many times. Acts chapter 15, particularly verse 20, the conclusion was that they would write to the Gentiles to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality. All the way into the New Testament, right? The significance of spirituality is just that. Stay away from sexual immorality and stay away from idolatry. One more time, right? The sexual immorality permeates the church. And even idolatry. We've we've talked about the fact that uh, the modern church today is obsessed with materialism and money. It's it's an idolatry that the Lord has condemned. We want to be very very careful about intermingling with the world and worldliness. Verse three: An Ammonite or Moabite should not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt, because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pithor of Mesopotamia to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into A blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. You shall not seek their peace nor their prosperity all your days forever. Their prosperity rather. So Ammonite, Moabite, descendants of Lot. Unfortunately, we have to describe the fact that it was by incest. Okay, So the two daughters... Of Lot, you know, really you got to put the whole thing into focus. It begins with the fact that Lot was the nephew of Abraham. And Lot was not following after the spiritual maturity and the spiritual concentration of Abraham. He was much more worldly. When the conflict between Lot and all of his workers, and Abraham and all of his workers had grown so severe that they knew they needed to separate from one another. Abraham asked Lot, what direction do you want to go? And he said, I'm paraphrasing all of this, I want to move towards Sodom and Gomorrah. It's very lush pasture land, and you know, it's closer to the city was sort of the the mindset. Um, we don't know how long he carried on as a herdsman, right? He he was raising sheep and apparently cattle and wanted to pasture land. What we hear is, I want to move towards Sodom and Gomorrah for my flocks. The very next thing we hear is that he's a leader in the city. Seemingly done with farming, he's taken up city life. Most of us are aware of how incredibly corrupt and sinful Sodom and Gomorrah was to the point that God destroyed the city uh, when they went in to destroy them uh, the Lord gives opportunity to lot that he and his family would be saved his uh, relatives his, his family his uh, you know, children and their spouses don't want to go with him they want to stay in the wickedness of the city. Only the two daughters that are living at home leave with him and that's forcibly, right? They they aren't very inclined to leave. The angels force them out. Lot's wife seems to be so attached to the city. I say seems to be uh, so attached to the city. We're not quite sure other than to say she was commanded, they were all commanded to not even turn around and look at the city when they were leaving. She stops, turns around, looks at the city, and uh, it says she was turned into a pillar of salt. Um, today, we think that she was perhaps more li- more likely, we don't know for certain, buried in a pillar of salt that fell from the sky. Uh, you know, the, the fire, the brimstone that was falling from the sky may have encased her in salt. She was turned to a pillar of salt, any way that you want to classify it. She was killed by the fact that she disobeyed God and looked back at the city. Lot and his two daughters escape. Uh, Apparently, maybe due to the sorrow of the loss of everything and everyone in the city, uh, they've got wine with them and the daughters get their father very drunk. And one after the other, they have intercourse with him and are impregnated and then Ammon and Moab are born to these two girls. Uh, I mean, it's as jaded, corrupt, weird a situation as you can ever describe. And in all of that situation, now there's great animosity between Ammon and Moab and the nation of Israel to the point where they are family. And when Israel is in need... Their relatives should come to their aid, and instead they do not. Along with that, they hire Balaam. Now, Balaam is a very strange character, right? He has communication with God, but he's not an obedient worshiper of God. He's some kind of ungodly prophet, who can inquire of Jehovah, Yahweh, and even hear back and get accurate answers. But again, not obedient to God. He's supposed to curse the nation of Israel. He's hired to do that. And because he accurately hears from the Lord, when he inquires of the Lord and says, what is your prophecy over the people? Again, I'm just paraphrasing endlessly. He's basically saying blessings upon Israel. That's all the Lord has to say to the nation of Israel. Why? Because they are obedient to him and following him at the moment. Balaam subsequently tells Balak, the king who hired him, look, the reason I can't curse these people is because they're being obedient to the God that they worship. If they disobey that God that God will become angry with them and destroy them. So what you want to do is send your female prostitutes down amongst the people of Israel with their idolatrous figurines and let them sell themselves to the men of Israel. But make sure that when they're being intimate with the men that these prostitutes present the idol and tell the men, I'm a priestess, I'm a prophetess of this idolatrous form of worship, and by your having intercourse with me, you are also participating in idolatry. And you would think that the nation of Israel would have woken up and said, that's a bad idea. And instead, they paid out the money, were intimate with these women, thereby worshipped the gods. God's heart was turned against the nation of Israel, and then God ended up destroying them. So Balak's wishes were fulfilled upon Israel. Long back, so I know. Summary, Ammonites and Moabites were the cause of all of that. They were the source of all of that pollution within the nation of Israel. It's interesting how if you just sort of breeze through these things, you don't catch that over and over again, right, sexual immorality and idolatry, sexual immorality and idolatry, sexual immorality and idolatry. I think it's significant and important that we as human beings recognize the weakness of our flesh. We easily fall to lust and we very easily fall to idolatry, Uh, you know, it's as simple. it's as simple as we begin with small areas of compromise where we're not as attentive to our relationship with the Lord as we should be, and then anything and everything creeps in. Isn't it amazing what we will become obsessed with rather than Jesus Christ? Turn your heart back to the Lord. Uh, a, a parallel right, to to watch for, the Ammonite and the Moabite, relatives of Israel. You're a believer. You're a child of God. Someone who also claims to be a child of God but doesn't have the same commitments to God that you do can introduce into your life compromises which will destroy your walk with the Lord. The issue of being unequally yoked is something you want to be very cautious of. You want to be very cautious of your own responsibility for your own walk with the Lord. Let nothing interfere with that. Amen? Amen. So, this whole issue, you can see that in Genesis chapter 19, verses 30 through 38. Uh, Verse 7, you shall not abhor... An Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you were an alien in his land. The children of the third generation born to them may enter the assembly of the Lord. It's a very interesting prospect within this. Now, some things to examine. So, uh, Jacob and Esau, brothers. Uh, Esau, the older brother was not interested in the things of the Lord at all. He was interested in blessings he wanted from his father. He was interested in the fruitfulness of the land. But he was running around with the Canaanite women and seemingly procreating with them and thereby polluting the seed of the Lord in the fact that he wasn't bringing any of them into the faith. He was taking the resources of his own body and spreading it amongst the Canaanites. Jacob, on the other hand, he's a messed up character, right? When you read the manipulation and all the weirdness, but he seemingly had a heart for the things of the Lord. I'm not encouraging any of us to be people of compromise, but I'll encourage you in this way. If you examine yourself and you're sort of overwhelmed with how flawed you are, know that God uses flawed people, right? So he's submitted to the Lord. Esau is not the great conflict between the two of them as brothers because Esau, the older, was supposed to receive the birthright, but because he rebels against God, God sees fit that the younger, Jacob, receives the birthright. So once the trickery is done and it's now been handed over, To Jacob, the hatred between the two of them is severe to the point where Esau threatens to kill him. And Jacob is very concerned about that. But here, the Lord is reminding the nation of Israel, you are brethren. You can't allow this animosity. There's something about bitterness that we need to be cautious of, right? The old timers would say that bitterness is the only poison we drink expecting it to kill our enemies right? You you need to be very cautious about that. If you recognize bitterness in your own heart at all, get rid of it. Deal with it. Let the Lord soothe your heart. People may wrong you more profoundly than anyone could ever imagine. They may betray you utterly. They may stab you in the back. If you get the opportunity, bless them as big as you can. Turn right around and love them. Let the Lord work in your heart, in your mind, in your life, and your conduct. Care for them, right? Then the Egyptians, he makes this parallel to, what he's basically saying is you know these people very well. You lived amongst them. Your, your culture has at least in part been developed By being amongst them. You should be able to minister to them. You you were were their slaves, okay? Uh, Do you have a people group that the Lord drew you out of, right? Were you an old school biker, right? Were you a criminal? Were you a college student? Were you an athlete? Were you an academic, you're going to be able to identify with those people and reach them, right? There, there are people I can't identify with, you know, straight A college students. <laughs> it doesn't, it's beyond me. I don't, I don't understand that at all, not at all. You know, when we had the school here, Lori was constantly trying to encourage me. You could be a teacher and you can do it. I finally explained to her, look, to be a good teacher you must be a good student. I am not a good student. <laughs> Present tense, am not. Therefore, I am not a good teacher. You know, I am an, a, a serious student of God's word, so I can stand here and deliver that. Math and English, not at all. Certain skills, certain mindsets, certain history, what the Lord has brought you out of, consider, right? Don't cut it short there, right? I'm encouraging you to do that because you take a guy like Paul, who was such an incredible academic. Who does God send him to? The Gentiles. You take a guy like Peter, who was a bullheaded brute of a huge man, according to history. You know, if you... Not read the history. Head and shoulders taller than all of the other disciples. Everybody else's head came to his shoulder. All right when, when we read that all of them collectively were trying to pull the fishnet ashore and they could not. But Peter went down and pulls the net ashore himself. And then they count up. What was it? 156 fish? Right, that isn't, you know, people literally go, well, there were 156 churches. No, okay. That was just to tell you the dude was huge, right? A little cluster of fishermen together couldn't pull the net ashore. Big, burly, white-haired Peter walks down and says, get out of the way, and just yards the thing up on the shore. Big, burly fishermen, probably big, thick fingers, Right? He's the guy that goes to the Pharisees. He's the guy that goes to the religious leaders. He's the guy that speaks to the religious elite of his day. You would think Paul the academic was supposed to be. Instead, he's sent to the Gentiles. So don't cut yourself short, but also don't neglect where you've come from. Right? Remember the rock from which you were hewn, the mire from which you were dug. It's, it's easy to communicate with people you identify with. So here the Egyptians need to be remembered and even embraced and allowed into the assembly of the Lord. Now in 29, we get some practical discussion. When the army goes out against your enemies, then keep yourself from every wicked thing. If there is any man among you who becomes unclean, By some occurrence in the night, then he shall go outside the camp. He shall not come inside the camp, but it shall be when evening comes, and that he shall wash with water, and when the sun sets, he may come into the camp. Now, the first portion is literally talking about (coughs) encountering anything that ceremonially ceremonially would make them unclean. So, you know, there's a list there. If you go out to battle dead bodies, blood, you know, pagan things and practices that they might come in contact in the foreign nations and people that they would be amongst. There's a list of possibilities. And the point is, basically, you're probably going to become unclean. And so you need to go through the process of being cleansed prior to coming back in the camp. There's two portions to that. The first one is simply hygienic. <clears throat> you need to make sure you're keeping any disease that you possibly can from being spread inside the camp. Secondly, spiritual. You don't want the spiritual influences to come back in, be brought back in, you know, The the things that they might experience along the way. <clears throat> then he even makes this explanation of what we would very – Carefully describe as nocturnal emissions. If a man is to experience that, then he's to remain outside the camp. He's to be cleansed and remain outside the camp until he comes back in the next day having been cleansed. Uh, More to do with hygienics than anything else. To protect against what might pollute the camp physically. So stay out until the sun is he- set, and then be cleansed and come back in. Spiritually, a lot of application <coughs> in constantly paying attention to the things that affect our heart, our mind, our soul, our behavior. Uh, we we need to consider what touches us. Um, you know, one of the ways that I'll describe that you might not think of: um, you're around some heathen and. Their wickedness isn't even a temptation for you to participate in. It just makes you angry. And then you come home angry. You don't even know why. You have to pay close attention to your own spiritual barometer and how it affects the rest of your life. You know, you could then move into the discussion of lust you know, be around people that don't have restraint, see, experience, and hear things. It incites something of the flesh. Come back into an environment of your home and your family and behave in ways that are ungodly. We have to constantly attend to our own spiritual condition. The world can affect us. We don't want it to infect us. So, Care for your spiritual health in the process. You uh, Also, you shall have a place outside the camp where you may go out and you shall have an implement among your equipment. And when you sit down outside, you shall dig with it and turn and cover your refuse. This is literally telling them how to use the bathroom. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give your enemies over to you, therefore, your camp shall be holy, that you may see no unclean thing among you and turn away from you um This is not cleanliness is next to godliness, you know that's uh you know just something that has been developed in sort of tradition, but there is something about cleanliness and order orderliness. That is associated with being godly. Uh, this here. Uh, there, You think well of course. That's what you want to do. Well think about how big the camp of Israel is. Okay. Millions of people. It is going to take some effort. To make sure that this is going on. Okay. Point being. There were many armies of the world. Who had no consideration for this. And dysentery was one of the the first things that destroyed those armies because of uncleanliness. God was light years ahead of what man figured out much later. He's telling them, you need to be clean. You need to be orderly. You need to consider these things. There's a lot too. Oh, you guys. Have you ever been back? Some of us came from such sinful Heathen environments. Have you ever been back to one of those environments that was like the way you used to live? And you're repulsed upon entering, and then the more time you spend there, the more you think, I used to live like this. You know, no, you, you didn't experience that. Okay. i picked up many hitchhikers. That do not that I don't encourage that, especially every passing year, it gets more and more dangerous. <laughs> you know. But I pick many of them up and I always share the Lord with them. And it's interesting how how many of them get out of my truck, and then I get out of my truck, and I get back in my truck, and it still smells like weed and cigarettes. And I get out of my truck and I get back in my truck and it still smells like weed and cigarettes. There's an uncleanliness that is often associated with sin. And uh, it does affect uh, the human soul. And, you know, I'm not opposed to them, right? Jesus embraced the sinners, embraced the, uh, you know, the lepers of the day. I welcome them in. What I recognize is, oh, thank the Lord that he's delivered me from that. You know, and reach out and pull anyone you can out of the filth amen so uh, a little bit more here he says um uh in verse 15 you shall not take back to his master the slave who has escaped from his master he may dwell with you in your midst in a place which he chooses within one of your gates where it seems best to him you shall not oppress him now We shouldn't think of this in regard to, oh, you know, God has slavery allowed within Israel, and this is a similar thing, same thing. Very different practices amongst the heathens as amongst the Jews. The slavery described amongst the Jews is uh, like we would describe employment. If you're in debt, you're in financial need. You could sell yourself to cover your debt. (laughs) You know, just throw numbers around. You got $30,000 of debt, no ability to pay it, zero dollars, zero employment. You go to someone and say, I'll work for you for the next 10 years. You pay my debt. And, you know, me also, you're asking them, you house me and feed me, and I'll be your employee for the next five years, next 10 years, whatever the agreement was. So, slavery in that sense was to cover debt. And this is why the Lord forbids the departing from slavery amongst his people, because someone else is covering your debt. Someone else is taking care of you financially. <clears throat> what he's talking about in the pagan world was much like we think of slavery kidnapping, stealing people, right? Making them, a forcing them into being your servant. That's God, God condemns that. Even says anyone who participates in that should be put to death. Okay, so God has no place for that type of slavery. When we're reading about God and his endorsement of slavery, we're talking about employment. Okay, so this is why there's a difference. If someone escapes that type of kidnapping slavery and comes in to be with you, he's saying you should give them free passage, they should be welcomed in your country, almost like the idea of sanctuary. Let, let them come in and live wherever they want to. Let them live amongst you. You've got to understand the graciousness of God in that circumstance. Read this, talk about this. Immediately people want to bring up our borders here in America and start talking about how we should allow you know, open borders. Okay, well, i got a lot to say about that. All from a godly sense of things. A sense of graciousness and allowance, but wisdom at the same time. Okay. We have, whether people want to admit this or not, we have an open border. You can apply for asylum. You can come into this nation and experience protection. The people that most commonly are just jumping the border are criminals. Okay, now look, I'm not just saying that as some kind of condemning blanket sense. Okay? I've studied the issue pretty thoroughly, I think, okay? The ones that are doing that this way are doing so why? Because they'll never be granted asylum. Now I understand there are those desperate people and situations <coughs> who are coming across and getting caught up that in that in a very innocent way. We need to have the ability for people to enter into this nation in a very constructive way. Uh, I'll just touch on Mexico. Uh, have you read the, the recent history of Mexico and the cartels and the violence? And I mean, district attorneys, you guys, who are prosecuting cartel members... Being gunned down in the courthouses, judges, bailiffs, district attorneys being beheaded, and then their head and their body being put on display in the streets. Okay, unbelievably violent. If you, like me, are thinking right, so we need to give those people asylum. Okay, think about this for just a second. If we take the really good, highly qualified people from that country and we insert them into our country, then the cream of the crop that would bring good change to that country, we've taken out of that country and implanted into our own. We need Mexico to change. And they need Mexico to change. I want Mexico to be like america i want them to have the freedom and the opportunities Uh, that means they got to change if all we're doing is opening the valve and letting the good stuff come in then all we're leaving there is the worst right do i have the answer no right Because it would take a tremendous amount of force and influence and resources to do anything about the mess that is there. You know what the biggest problem in Mexico is? In Mexico, the biggest problem is America. And our desire for their drugs. This nation's desire for that nation's cocaine... And that nation's marijuana is that nation's biggest problem. We are corrupting that nation with our desires. The thing that's going to fix that is the men and the fathers in America repenting and taking their families back to church. That's what's going to fix Mexico. Is when this nation no longer has the desire for those things and isn't bringing them here if we if we as a nation were repentant we are causing a tremendous amount almost all of that corruption is us that that you know you look at afghanistan you guys and you see the madness that's going on there the thing that fuels that whether you're aware of it or not is the american medical industry and the opiate industry, the heroin on our streets. It's the poppy fields in Afghanistan. Again, if America doesn't desire that from the pharmaceutical companies and from the drug dealer on the corner, then the Taliban doesn't get its money from America. Repentance here is the thing. You know, When people talk about the hypocrisy, oh, you're the policeman of the world, I have to kind of agree. To a certain extent, of the hypocrisy and the corruption that is going on. The answer is still within our borders. It's still in the repentance of the people here in the United States and the change that it would affect around the world. Um 17, 19, 21, different subjects. We're out of time. So let's just let's wrap it up on this thought, okay? We've heard many, many times, right, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, right, turn from their wicked way. Humble yourself, pray, turn from your wicked way. You, me, these are the things that bring change. (laughs) That, That whole thing, you know, we say, like, there goes the neighborhood. When we go down, everybody goes down because we are so supportive. We're so supportive of the rest of the world, morally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, as a nation. And and mo- most significantly, you guys, the church, the church, solid Bible-believing churches are becoming m- more and more rare. And the ones that do exist, the churches are getting smaller and smaller. it's a tragic thing. The churches that are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you look at their doctrine and the things they're teaching, they're horrendous. They're horrible. They're false teachers filling the pulpits. The, The church, Christianity, right? Jesus said that, you know, upon this rock will I build my church. Guess what? Jesus Christ has never stopped building his church. What you've got to look at is what is actually built on Jesus Christ? Because much of what is called the church is built on advertising and men and money. It's, it's not built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. So when you find a location that is, don't only just absorb it and enjoy. Get involved. You know. And I say that to a room full of people that are involved. You guys are solid involved. We need to be working in about the church and what the Lord has called us to do. Because as the church grows strong, then it can strengthen its neighborhood, strengthen its community, strengthen its city, its state, its nation. If it's not, then this this rot and this corruption is what we experience. Does that make sense to us all? Let let us be as Jesus said, the salt and the light of the world. Amen, amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father God, uh, I just I want to thank you again for Steve and his willingness to come, last minute, short notice, and such a blessing to sing the songs we did. Lord, we appreciate your word and we ask that you would cause it to sink deeply into our hearts, our minds, our souls, our our conduct. Help us to be men and women that are submitted to you, that are seeing your kingdom come and your will be done in us and through us and by us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.